today's message is for you, for those of you who feel like you just can never measure up. Uh, for those of you who feel like you're just never enough. And on the other side, today's message is for those of you as well who are constantly frustrated that others don't know better. You're constantly angry, constantly frustrated. Why don't they just do better? For both of you who feel like who's never enough, for those of you who feel like, ugh, don't they just know better, I pray that God will give us both confidence in who we are before Christ and humility before him as you dive in today's text as well. So today's text that we are about to look at that Angela just read it for us, there are two encounters of Jesus. One, Jesus runs into the Pharisees, and Jesus goes to this woman whose daughter is demon-possessed. Through these two encounters and episodes that is happening, we'll learn three things in our text. First, we will learn about the problem of self-justification and self-cleansing. Why it doesn't really work as you think it might work. It actually misses the mark. It doesn't work. There's a problem of self-justification and self-cleansing. And second, then, we will learn about the power of self-awareness and faith. We will see that in the text that we are reading, the power of self-awareness and faith. And third, how do we actually change? How do we move from just justifying ourselves, cleansing ourselves, to really put our faith in Christ alone, what he can do? That's what we are going to talk about. May the Lord bless our time. So as you dive in, before we dive in, when you look at like verses, like it would be a great idea to have a word open. I'm going to explain what the word says here. When you look at verses like 3 or 4, 11 or 19, you will see a lot of parentheses in these cases. These are not original in Greek manuscript, but translator added that because it was obvious to translator's mind that John Mark is intentionally explaining this difficult theological concept because this is written for the Gentile audience, Greek and Romans. I was reading it, I'm thinking, oh man, John Mark, the author of the How Thoughtful You Are. If John Mark were around, I think I would want to be friends with him. Just the way he writes, are so thoughtful and considerate that we, even 2,000 years later, we can benefit from his writing as well. So he's trying to understand us. So let's see what the Lord has for us. So first, the problem of self-justification and self-cleansing. Here in first encounter of Jesus, verse 1 all the way down to 23, here Jesus is, um, to say the least, having an argument, having a conflict, disagreement with this group of people called Pharisees, especially when it has to do with cleanliness and dietary laws. Like, look, verse 3, what's happening? In parentheses, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. This has to do with not actually what the written law, the law that God has given to Moses, but this is oral law, what was added to on top of the law. Like, right after God has given laws to Moses and all those our Old Testament saints, all those laws where they are following it, but they are like, let's add a few more laws. Let's fence the law in order to protect the law. So like after Jesus has come 200 years later, there's this tradition called Mishnah, which is the collection of all this oral law. Um, and this intended to, you know, if this is what we are supposed to keep, if you put the fence far out there, that even if you might violate some fence, you might not violate the law. 
So it started out with a really good intention, but it has become eventually really absurd. Um, there are some really weird laws in our days, too. I looked up some any weird law in Pennsylvania. Did you know that it's illegal in Pennsylvania to f- catch your fish barehand? You didn't know that. If you're from Louisiana, you're out of luck. You cannot dive in and grab fish. You cannot do that. According to Title 58, Chapter 63 of the Pennsylvania Code, you can only catch fish using a line or hook. I'm sure it started with all the good reason, but there are so many laws that just quite don't make sense. So anyhow, coming back to the Jewish tradition, that has nothing to do with the fishing here. It, what it started out to be good to protect what God has commanded it ended up being really absurd. Like what God has commanded, keep Sabbath holy, don't work too much, don't work. But then these people decide to keep add extra law by saying, don't even look at a mirror on Sabbath, it's illegal. I'm like, why are you not supposed to look at mirror on Sabbath? Because if you see a gray hair, you're tempted to pull it out and that's a work. <laughs> I was like, well, those of your gray hairs, ugh. So what it meant to be good, God has to keep Sabbath holy. They're adding a bunch of traditions Verse 3 says they are like adding a bunch of tradition, holding to the tradition of elders. And out of all those bunch of fencing around the actual law, what was most notorious had to do with the cleansing law, which is the issue at a debate here in this case. What this cleansing law came about, it was actually meant to be for the priests. Before they go and offer up a sacrifice before the Lord, they were supposed to go to a bunch of ritual to cleanse themselves. But before Jesus came, about 200 years before Jesus came by, that came by that point, all the devout Jews are like, oh, priests are doing it? I should do it too. So they're adding a bunch of things, a bunch of absurd things as well. And so that very measurement that God had said intended to be good for priests to wash themselves, to make them realize they are defiled before the Lord with their sin, and they are in desperate need of repentance. But rather than taking the law of the Lord to point us our need for Savior, the tradition has very become the measurement of their spirituality. Oh, because of, I've done all this extra, 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 I am holy. I don't need God internally. I measure myself up by my older tradition. So what Jesus says, look in verse 8. You have let go of the very intent, the very commands of God, and you're holding on to human tradition. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own tradition. Whatever they added to their law, the fence around the law has become far more important. That became the measurement of their spirituality more than what God has actually commanded him. Perhaps some of you know this Broadway musical called Fiddler on the Roof. It's a musical set in the pale settlement of Imperial Russia around 1905. Its main protagonist's name is Tevier, and he has five daughters. And this Tevier is devout Jews, and he's desperately trying to hold on his traditions. And his five daughters are about to get married, all bunch of these new customs coming in, and he's battling. And there's a famous song called Tradition, and Tevier says, How do we keep our balance? I'll answer with one word, and the song begins, Tradition, Tradition, Tradition. Perhaps some of you have seen that if you have not seen it. But then Tevye, this devout Jew, keeps on by monologue saying, We've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevkar, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. 
For instance, we always keep our heads covered, always wear our little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our tradition, every one of us know who he is and what God expects him to do. For those Jews, this whatever they added, all those tradition and the oral law, has become perception in their mind that this is the exact measurement of how I am before the Lord. So all the laws were intended to be visual sign of your need for Savior, that you need to repent. But the bunch of added laws, oral law, Mishnah, has become a point that actually, as long as I keep those fences around the law, as long as I do all that, actually I am good before the Lord. So intention of the law is for you to make you realize that you need a Savior, but the very bunch of things that they added on their rule became their spiritual measurement. As long as I do that, I am right before the Lord. What God has intended, they completely twisted with their tradition. Like sometimes gift can masquerade as your character. This behavior of keeping tradition masquerade your heart. And Jesus is not having it. Look verse 6 and 7. This outside-in approach doesn't work. Jesus says, Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Here Jesus says, is saying, I am asking for your heart. But you're busy trying to just measure yourself up by a bunch of things that I didn't even ask you to do. What are you doing? See, I almost hate to pick on Pharisees, church, because by picking on Pharisees, we become a Pharisee. What I mean by that, we are, Pharisees are all the ones that said, here Jesus and Pharisees are in an argument. They are the ones that says, God, I thank you that I am not like him. God, I thank you that I'm not like her. God, I thank you that I'm not like sinners. We are saying, when we read it, I'm like, God, I thank you that I'm not like Pharisees. But are we really not? Are we any better than them? Here, they're using a bunch of things to measure themselves, to self-justify themselves, try to self-cleanse themselves before the Savior. You don't think we do that? Oh, we do. Our egos are so busy trying to measure, up, measure ourselves up. We are constantly so busy trying to justify ourselves too. This only often leads to great insecurity and endless comparison in our hearts. Like before God and others, what do we often say? Well, I'm better than them because guess what? I did my morning devotion. Man, I prayed more than those other people. I know so much better. You don't quite say, but deep inside, sometimes there's subtle attitude. When you get really angry, upset, worried about all your reputation, who you are, there's subtle nuance in that. In your work, you subtly said, I am somebody because I can do a better job than you do. Because I make more money than you do. Because I am more well-regarded, respected. Because I've been doing this longer. In your friendship, you might secretly deep down and in your heart say, just like Pharisees here, why don't your disciples wash your hands? I do. We are better. I'm doing all those extra measurements. In your friendship, I am better. Because perhaps I'm more popular. Because I don't get as angry as that person. Because I don't get as worried. I'm much better than them. In your community, sometimes you don't say it, but you say, well, my house is more nicely decorated. 
My house is much bigger. Look at them. Ugh, they don't know any better. This only leads to judgmentalism and insecurity, not repentance. The law was designed to make you realize that you need a savior and you need to repent. But they're adding a bunch of things, and as long as I'm doing all doing things, I actually am great. Look at me, God. I wash my hands. What about your disciple? It had exactly opposite effect. And these Pharisees, their hands are busy, but their hearts are fragile. Their egos are always inflated and deflated because they are constantly comparing, constantly competitive. Our friend C.S. Lewis was an atheist before he became a Christian apologist. Um, and once he had a podcast, it's modern day podcast, radio broadcast, uh, that was made into a book, Mere Christianity. And in the book, he says pride, essentially, this self-centered, this self-absorption in its nature is always competitive. In other words, you get no pleasure out of having something, but you only out of having more of it than other men. This is what Louis says. I mean, listen how your heart are sometimes like this too. Now, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its own nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, the pride has gone. What is that for you that you're constantly trying to measure, whether it be by money, whether it be by your reputation? What are those extra things that you have added? What God is requiring of you today, Chilton, is nothing else but your heart, the everything of you. Then Jesus here lays down the true principle of it all. The problem is not the outside, but the heart. Look at verse 15, 18, 23. All those three things are talking about exactly the same thing. 15, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. 18, are you so dual, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? 23, all this evil come from inside and defile a person. Chilton, if you really believe that defilement comes from outside, then actually as hard as it is, it's achievable, it's measurable. You can cleanse yourself nonstop, you, can, you just don't sleep tonight, work hard, then you might make it actually. Billions of law, you might try to be able to make it all. At least it's measurable. In, essentially, that's how all the other religions operate, if you really think about it. But the Jesus says, your problem is actually so much bigger than that. Your problem is your, you might do everything right, but still can be completely wrong in your heart. Even in your best deed, you might have done that with a completely wrong motive. And that problem is so radical. Unless you are incredibly naive today, when you do deep down your soul searching, you know it. There's deep anxiety, insecurity, pervasive lust. There's constantly endless comparison of the person whoever is in your circle. 
is desperately wicked, filled with shame and guilt. And we need our Savior. Get it? Self-cleansing, self-justification by doing things just doesn't cut it. Actually, exactly misses the mark that what God intended for law was for us to make us realize the desperate need of Savior. But the laws and all the Mishnah tradition only made them more proud, more calloused. And Jesus saying, that's not going to work. Where are you? How's your heart today? You're here at church. You're doing one thing right. But your heart could be completely far away. So proud. God, look at me. They are slipping in after time change. I'm here, God. How is my heart today? Something to think about, isn't it? Second, if that doesn't cut self-cleansing and self-justification just doesn't work, then what works second? The power of self-awareness and faith. When you look at this next encounter with Jesus, look at verse 24. Jesus left the place and went to the vicinity, vicinity of Tyre. This Tyre is, I mean, I don't know what Jesus did exactly in his earthly ministry, but according to what is written in the four Gospels only, this is just about the only account that Jesus goes across the border of modern-day Israel. This is not Israel. This is it's Lebanon. It's located in the shore about 12 miles north of northern Israel. So Jesus, after having this major conflict with the Pharisees, he goes to the Gentile area, Phoenicia area, and meets this Gentile woman who stands in just about everything opposite as this Pharisee. Respected, well-regarded, tried to keep all the ritual. This, she's a woman, she's Gentile, she's a demon-possessed daughter. And she must have known, she must have known that Jewish people regarded the Gentile woman as ugh, something of lesser. Just having lived only 12 miles north of Israel, she must have known. Um, yet she doesn't care. What does she do? Look at verse 25. She came and fell at Jesus' feet. Now, Pharisees' approach to Jesus was what? Corrective. Let me teach you what you got, Jesus. Listen to me. You, your disciple better act better. She doesn't come in the mode of corrective, but she comes in submissive. She comes and prostrated Jesus' feet. And then she begged to Jesus drive out a demon out of her daughter. Verse 26. The word used to beg is a present progressive form. That means she begged. Goodbye, Jesus. No, she kept on begging. And if you look at like the same account is written in Matthew 15, verse 23. Disciple tell them, Jesus, just let her go. Because send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She's persistently asking Jesus to help her. And what's Jesus' answer for that? All right? Now, withhold your judgment just in a moment. I'm going to read some harsh verse here. Look verse 27 and 28. This is Jesus' response to her. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. Now, if you have known Jesus for a long time, at least you say, oh yeah, Jesus can do wrong. Jesus is loving, so he wouldn't quite say like the calling or dog. Well, I mean, we give benefit of that to Jesus. But some of you perhaps might not fully aware of who Jesus is. You say, this is offensive. I knew Christianity is discriminatory. It's misogynistic. What is happening here? How dare Jesus calling her dog? Let me address that here a little bit. Okay, I mean, as much as how you want to slice it, how you want to justify it, yes, he does that. So let me explain what's going on before you say all that. 
Here, Jesus' tone of voice is a little different. In Greek word, the dog is kuon. That's the referring to scavenger dog, full-grown dog out there. But the word that Jesus used is not a kuon, but a kunarian. It's a diminutive form of kuon, which means it's a little puppy. It's like a pet dog that Jesus is referring to. So the how in this house, pet would find a nice place under the loving master's care. And it takes, so let, put that in mind, let's put that in context here. That's why we must read the previous context in order to really understand. Jesus just said when he had encountered the Pharisee, hey, it's not the outside that defiles you, but it's the inside. It's not your genealogy, it's not your pedigree, you being Gentile, you being woman. That's not actually what defiles you. So your heart is what defiles you. So Jesus cannot possibly be saying, you are defiled, you are just like a dog because you're Gentile, you're a woman. Because Jesus said it's not our hands, not what we do is what defiles them, but it's the heart. Now let's put these two things together. Here Jesus is creating a picture. In a Greco-Roman household, when they're eating, a father would preside in a table and he would give food to children first. And then, if there's any leftover things like that, Petra, and even like sometimes we give leftover to dogs, then dogs, then to these puppies, will get little scraps. So she's saying, hey, Jesus, I know. The dogs, even the dogs eat Father's bread too. Sure, we get that we are not your priority. I get that Jews are first your primary mission. But we do get some too. You're right. There is even enough bread for me. I get that I'm an outsider. I get that I am... I am Gentile. I get that I am nobody in the eyes of Jews. But I know they perceive me perhaps to be dirty and defiled. But Jesus, you have a place for me to write. Just like even a puppy has a food from his loving master. If you want me to be a dog, I'll take it. Give me some. I want of you. What she's saying, she's not defensive but submissive. She's not arrogant but humble. She has keen self-awareness of Jesus, his priority and mission. And at the same time, she's persistent and asking, Jesus, you are a loving master. I know what you have. Give me some for my daughter and me too. Now, this is, we are not, how can she do that? Let's, let's have, take a, have a conversation here. Have you seen those? She's very gentle and very submissive. Yet at the same time, she's really bold and courageous and persistent. This is, there's something in her that's far beyond the temperamental. Because why? Have you seen those who tended to be very bold, assertive, courageous, loud? Uh, they are often not humble. They're often proud and arrogant, thinking they know so much better. All right? That's how temperament typically works, that kind of personality. They either act like they have it all together, or they are trying to cover up that they don't have it all together. Like, for example, preachers, among preachers, we have a saying, you, because sometimes we are making loud to cover up our insecurity. They're just saying that, hey, when the preacher begins to pound the pulpit, pound the pulpit, you better know that he has some weak point coming. <laughs> so I'll not pound my pulpit. I'll try not to raise my voice here. <laughs> but on the other side, though, when you tend to find a humble people, quote-unquote, they are maybe gentle and temperate, but they don't know how to be assertive. They are often, in other words, they can be coward. They are just, oh, okay, whatever. They are timid, cowardly. Is she coward and timidly? Not at all. She's a persistent. Jesus, I need you. I need you to come through. 
there's something that is far beyond temperamental. So she's aggressive and persistent, yet not arrogant. She's humble and yet not timid or coward. She's courageous and bold, assertive about Jesus, I need you to come through. What is happening? The gentleness and courageousness dwells together in her. How do you become like that? There's something beyond her. How do we become like that? What is in her that makes her that way? Hold your thought, I'll come back to that. How do we change? How do we become like here? The Pharisees are very aggressive, yet they're arrogant or insecure at the same time because they think, Jesus, I'm so much better. I'm washing my hands. Your disciples don't. How do you move from that to this? Now, when you remember the first account, Pharisees are constantly trying to measure themselves up by I'm doing these extra things on top of the law without, realize, without really realizing the importance of your soul. Isn't that often what we are doing before God? We are so busy trying to justify ourselves. God, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm going extra much, you must be pleased with me. Am I enough now that I did all that? Our hearts are always so busy trying to compare, trying to measure up. If you make it, if you win the comparison competitive game compared to others who are doing it, then you only become more arrogant because I've worked hard, now I've made it. But if you, you lose in the competitive comparison game to others, you only become depressed. Your ego is always will be inflated or deflated. There will never be tranquility of your ego in your heart because it's so busy trying to compare the game. Because we become the product of our own standard and judgment that we have created, and you're constantly extending that judgment to others constantly. There's no hope in that. Things that you think you can measure will only bind you and kill you in the end. Uh, there is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter named Tori Kelly. In her song titled Funny, released in 2015, uh, says the lyrics that really speaks our heart quite a bit. Listen to the lyrics. It's so easy to lose all the meaning of who you are. What is your definition of a true superstar? Is it beauty? Is it money? Is it power? Is it fame? Are you in it for the glory? What's the purpose? What's the gain? Everything you ever wanted got you tied up in chains. Be careful how you play the game. Because some same things that chose you are the same things that owned you. The same thing that built you up is the same thing that killed you. The same ones that praise you are the same ones that hate you. Funny how it all goes around. If you lose your soul, you lose it all. If you're at the top, then brace for the fall. Surrounded by faces, but no one to call. Funny how it all goes around. The very measurement that you have said, if only I do this, if only I make this much money, if only I'm this successful, well-regarded, then I'll be okay. The very things that you said before you know it is killing you. I, I'm convinced the Pharisees are the group of people who are most arrogant at the same time most insecure and also at the same time most weary and constantly anxious because they're adding a bunch of rules to measure themselves up. Your heart will never find rest. Is that you? Is that me sometimes? I feel like it, actually. I identify the Pharisees so much more. Why is my heart always like this? Why am I constantly frustrated? Because I'm extending my own standard and judgment often. How do I move from that? Do you realize what this Gentile woman is doing here now? Let me answer the question. Her confidence is not based on who she is. 
But her confidence is based on, it's not even what she can do, but her confidence, lie, her hope lies in the person of who Jesus is, whom he believes to be. She knows her status clearly. She's humble because she knows who she is, yet she's confident because she knows who Jesus is. Jesus, you have the hope that I need. Come through. In Matthew 15, when you look at the same account, Jesus praises her in the end. Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. It is not the Pharisee who had it all together constantly trying to measure up that Jesus praises in the end. But the one Jesus praises is Gentile whom the world considered to be nobody woman because she realized who she is. She's humble before the Lord. She's confident. God, you have hope that I am desperately searching for today. If you don't come through, I have no hope. Come. She's persistently begging upon Jesus. Do you have this kind of humble and confident face before the Lord? Or you're, you're timid, coward, and just arrogant trying to measure up all the rules of life that you have set in motion. That will only lead you to self-absorption. But when you realize who you are before the Lord, it will humble you. And when you realize who you are before God, who He is, it will give you full confidence to be able to move forward putting all our hopes in God. Not all the, all the things that we measure ourselves to. If you lose our soul, we lose it all, Chelton. Here, Pharisees are so busy trying to do a bunch of things while their heart is at the farthest. How's your heart today? Don't you want to be both humble and confident? Those are rare combinations. How is that possible, you might ask? How do you really change today? Because I want that. I don't want to be arrogant and insecure, timid. I want to be humble and yet confident before the Lord. How, you may ask? Here, Pharisee had all option, really could have followed Jesus, but they completely reject by all the things. How do you change today? Where you can find both humility and confidence at the same time, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Cross of Jesus Christ should humble all of us today. We are not only Gentile, we are not only outsider, we are not only defiled, we are enemies of God. We should have been there on the cross. But instead of us going to the cross, Jesus says, I'll take upon myself. When we are nobody, when we are enemies of God, he willingly goes himself to the cross, die on the cross. That should humble me and you because I should be there. I should be hanged on a cross. You should be hanged on a cross for the wages of sin is death, but he goes up there. At the same time, the cross of Jesus Christ should give you all the confidence in the world. Who am I? Who are you? that our God find you worthy. God says, I want to make you worthy. So my God, I, God, will die for me? Wow. I'm no longer enemies of God. I'm friend of God. God loved me enough to die for me. He endured the wrath of God for me. Who am I that God does that? I am special. You are special in the sight of the Lord. That should give you all the confidence that you and I need today Without the cross of Christ, you will always be inflated, deflated. Your ego will constantly swing back and forth every day in your life. Where do we begin today? Children, aren't you tired of trying to measure up? I am. I am trying, tired of trying to constantly do all things, trying to please all things. Where do I find my heart rest? 
I need to come back to the cross of Jesus Christ where I find my humility and confidence altogether because of what Christ has done. How is your heart? Is your ego so busy, fragile today, constantly comparing, constantly competitive, constantly trying to even measure up? I pray that your heart will find rest in Christ alone, what he has done for us today. Let's pray together. Oh God, we look at this Gentile woman who is submissive, prostrating at Jesus' feet today. She's confident, persistently begging upon you to come through. God, would you give us a bold, confident faith? God, we are tired trying to constantly play the game of this suburban Philadelphia, try to see who is the best at sports, who is the best at popularity, who is the best name it who makes the most has the most pretty house constantly just trying to please others God, whatever the rules or our own definition of oral law that we have set before you god i pray that you rectify those today and give us the simple faith that truly our lives are not hands but it begins from the heart it's not outside in but inside out before you may our hearts truly sing for you so when we feel like we are never enough, never can measure up, help us look to you and find the confidence in you that our God died for me, our God died for us. And God, I pray that you humble us today. We are Pharisees. We all have the Pharisaical tendency. If we said, God, I thank you that I'm not like those Pharisees, God, I pray that you reveal the blind side in our lives so that we may correct our course before you and submit our lives unto your throne. O Lord, our Savior, we commit our hearts to you. May you bring our hearts home each day. Make us more like Christ. In your precious name we pray. Amen.